Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Alex Putterman, UConn football beat writer for the Hartford Current. We look back at this year's team, the good and the bad, look ahead to next year, and find out Alex's favorite AAC road game venue to date. I don't know about you guys, but finding really nice Connecticut sports t-shirts can be tough. Local Vintage has come up with the perfect t-shirts to satisfy all of your favorite hometown memories. Their Connecticut collection includes designs such as the Hartford Civic Center, Brass Bonanza, the GHO, the New Haven Coliseum, and more. I recently picked up the Hartford Civic Center and Brass Bonanza shirts myself and can tell you firsthand they are very soft and super comfortable. Just for listeners of the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, our friends at Local Vintage are excited to offer you 15% off your entire order. Simply go to localvintage.com slash CT. That's vintage with a Y, V-Y-N-T-A-G-E dot com slash CT and enter discount code CT scoreboard during checkout. A few easy clicks and you'll have your fill of premium nostalgic apparel. Again, visit localvintage.com slash CT. That's vintage with a Y, B-Y-N-T-A-G-E, and enter discount code CT scoreboard at checkout for 15% off your next order. And now for our interview with Alex Putterman. We're joined by Alex Putterman, uh, UConn football beat writer for the Hartford Current. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me, Jared. Great. So, Dad, this was your first year on the UConn football beat. Let's start with an overall picture. What was the first year covering this team like for you? Well, for me personally, it went pretty smoothly. You know, um, it was really nice working with all these people um, who I had read over the years, both at the Current and at other papers to cover UConn football. Um, so on a personal note, it was, uh, you know, it's a fun experience. Got to travel around a little bit, um, you know, draining at times like any beat job is. But overall, it was a good experience. Um, I'm sure the members of the Huskies wouldn't put it exactly that way. But, uh, you know, for me personally, um, you know, I, I can't complain. Getting back on this year, probably the best place to start is the record setting and not in a good way. Uh, defense. The the defense mm-hmm. to say was historically bad actually isn't an understatement because they they were historically bad, uh, giving up over 617 yards a game, just over 50 points a game. Watching this defense on on a day to day basis, whether it be in practice or in the games itself, what did you see that that made this defense play the way it was? What I know, Coach Edsel tried to put a lot of it on on the youth. Do you see that as, as a valid excuse for some of the play? Yeah, so I think there's no doubt that this defense was extremely, extremely young. Um, and whether you want to call that an excuse or not, you know, I think that's, that is just kind of a fact, and that is a big uh, explanation. You know, no team with that many freshmen is going to have a good defense. You can maybe quibble, did they have to have a record-setting defense? You know, maybe, maybe not. Um, you can argue over whether uh, it was necessary for them to play all those freshmen, both in the big picture and um kind of in a week-to-week situation. Um, but I, I do think that the fact that these were guys who are straight out of high school, they haven't had that first offseason to bulk up to get into kind of Division One football shape, uh, I do think that that um, had a big impact on Saturdays. I do. The, 
scapegoats, I guess, in all of this has been the defensive coordinator, uh, Coach Crocker. Do you see him staying on uh, past this year? Uh, I know we're only a week or so into the offseason here, so decisions are probably still haven't been made. But do you get the sense he'll be back uh, to work with this young defense again? Um, yeah, I, I can't say for sure, but if I had to guess, I do think he will be back. Um, I, I know that the athletic department, um, values continuity, um, certainly in the head coaching position at this point with all the turnover that they've had, but also among the coordinators, um, they've shuffled coordinators so many times in recent years, that I think there's some desire to just let a group of guys have the same coach for um, a few years at a time. Um, on the other hand, obviously, Billy was the guy who oversaw the worst defense in college football history, which is not, uh, you know, something that he, I'm sure, is particularly proud of. But uh, I don't, I don't think that the blame for that lies necessarily um, fully on his shoulder. And so, if I had to guess, I do think that he will be back. That said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he became kind of the, the scapegoat um, for the way this season went, um, and if they did kind of reason like, hey, look, we knew this wasn't going to be a the best defense in the country, but it, did it have to be the worst? Did it have to be the worst of all time? Um, you know, maybe it was going to be bad no matter who was, was coaching that defense. The question is, did it have to be that bad? Yeah, so so we talked a bit about how the team was playing a lot of true freshmen on defense. Out of what you saw both in practice and in games, who showed the biggest signs of promise to you that, that maybe this defense – might not be great again next year because these guys are still going to be pretty young, but they should at least be better. Or, or who from that group do you think could step yeah. up? The, the guy who I think um, it was cool to see him grow was uh, O'Neal Robinson, the safety, who going into the year, Billy Crocker has admitted they expected to redshirt him. He did not play in the first game, um, not because he was hurt, but because you know they didn't think that he was really ready for that. And then he uh, played. he started playing largely because um, of an injury to another player. And then he had um, he led the team with two interceptions, and both of them were pretty athletic plays. Uh, he was kind of all over the field. He was a big hitter. And one thing that's good about him is there's some projectability kind of, some room for growth because, um, as Randy Edsel said at one point, um, a strong wind would blow him back to Hartford. Um, he's a very thin, frail kind of guy, uh, only a true freshman. And so I think the fact that he was able to uh, – grow from this guy who was going to be redshirted to a starter on defense by the end of the year and one of the team's losing tacklers uh, is a good sign if, if you're looking for good signs. Um, and there are others. Um, Travis Jones, defensive tackle, um, definitely showed flashes. He's 340 pounds, certainly has the body of a nose tackle um, or a defensive tackle in a, a 4-3. And uh, Kavon Jones, linebacker, um, showed some promise. There were, there were really a bunch of guys who – are at least intriguing um, once they get their body into uh, the right shape. And for some of those guys, it's slimming down. For some of them, it's bulking up. But um, a lot of guys to kind of watch and see how they develop. Because as uh, Randy liked to point out a million times this year, most of those guys would be redshirting under perfect conditions. So they were out there and they took their licks. But um, just the fact that they now have a year under their belts when they otherwise um, probably wouldn't, it, it makes you think, you know, Maybe maybe there's maybe there's something here. Maybe that experience can build towards something positive. If fans were looking for a bright spot this year, the brightest spot was probably David Pindell and, and how mm-hmm. he ran this offense. Uh, what do you think his loss is going to do to the development of that offense uh, for next year? It was the first year with Coach Don. How do you see them uh, progressing next year as well? 
Yeah, uh, if I'm a UConn fan, I'm a little bit nervous about the offense moving forward because I think that the defense will be a little bit better next year, but I kind of fear that instead of losing 50 to 20, they'll just lose 40 to 10, you know, and uh, that's that's maybe being a little bit glib, but I do think that the offense is losing Pendell, who was basically, I mean, when he had a bad game, the offense didn't move. And when he had a good game, the offense was, was pretty dangerous. They're losing him. They're also losing uh, Herjie Mayala, Kyle Buck, uh, and Aaron McLean, who were um, three of the team's leading receivers, um, maybe even the team's three leading receivers. I don't have the stats in front of me right now. But so I do think that um, they are going to be missing some key pieces. Uh, center Ryan Crozier also graduated. He was kind of a key leader on an offense that didn't really have a lot of leadership at times. So I think that you have to worry the offense will take a little bit of a step back. There's a question of whether Kevin Mensa will be able to duplicate his 1,000-yard season um, without David Pindell to kind of distract defenses. I, I, I think that Kevin is a, a good player, kind of flew under the radar, but 1,000 yards, four and a half yards per carry um, as a sophomore is, is nothing to sneeze at. Um, so that'll be interesting. I mean, obviously the big question is who's going to play quarterback and how well will he play quarterback? And, um, you know, we can get into that if you want, but I do think that they'll miss uh, Pindell and they'll also miss the other senior uh, players on offense who they're losing. Yeah, I, I think that question of the quarterback is a nice segue into what I was going to ask next. Coach Edsel seemed to not be afraid to play all of these young guys on defense, but when these games got out of hand, David Pindell seemed to be in pretty much the entire game. He, other quarterbacks weren't getting any snaps. Does he just not have any confidence in those guys uh, this year to give them the snaps and give them some of that experience that might help uh, going into next year? Yeah, I was surprised sometimes how long he stuck with David, no doubt. He did give Marvin Washington some chances. Uh, he let Brandon Bezak play against East Carolina and then Steve Kajewski a little bit in the finale against Temple. Um, but yeah, he did stick with David, and I think part of that was just you don't want to, you don't want if to, if you can lose by 30 instead of 40, just from a psychological perspective, maybe that does something for you if you can close a game well. I think in some of those games, um, he just didn't want to concede. He didn't want to throw in the towel and say, I mean, obviously they were going to lose, but there was just something about like saying, yeah, we're so much worse than Tulsa that we need to play our third string quarterback. I think that was kind of a, a barrier to get over. Um, and we'll see moving forward. I mean, part of it, so Marvin Washington was the backup quarterback for a lot of the season. We know that they don't have a lot of faith in him, if not on the field, I mean, off the field, where he has now been uh, suspended, sidelined, whatever you want to call it, for academic reasons on a couple of different occasions. So he's got some stuff to get together. Kudrowski is only a true freshman. Um, Bezak was pretty clear that he didn't really have a, a future um, as a starter here. So um, I do think that they probably could have given those guys a little bit more experience, but also I think probably didn't see so much upside or didn't feel like there was this can't-miss guy who just had to get on the field. So we've talked defense and the offense a bit. Now let's go to the guy who's leading the charge here and Coach Edsel. One thing he seemed to be preaching all year long is a culture change in the program. He talks about some of the players – not necessarily being bought into to the way he wants to run the program. How have you seen the shift in culture, even even just this season alone? Uh, you know, from when you from when the season started to how it ended, did you see any noticeable change in that culture he's trying to build? Um, that's a hard thing to perceive from the outside. I think um, 
it's it's to be honest with you, it's hard to really sound like this uh, peppy, happy, optimistic tone when the last few games were some of the worst. You know what I mean? Like I would like to say that by the end they were fighting harder and stuff, but I mean fifty-seven seven against Temple. I mean the whole team it seemed like had given up by the end of that one, and um, the East Carolina game was ugly, and the Tulsa game was ugly. So, so I think he his thing is that once he gets all of his guys in there, the culture will follow. He had pretty open skepticism toward the upper class and the guys who he inherited from Bob Diaco. I think he just felt like they didn't have um, the proper talent, but also the proper attitude and the proper adherence to his culture. And it's hard for me to evaluate whether that was true or not true, but that was certainly the way that he sees it. So, you know, he said a bunch of times, some of the stuff we got to fix in the off season. And that by that he meant in the, in the weight room and in the nutritionist office and figuring out, you know, getting guys' bodies right. But he also, I think, meant getting guys in there who kind of fit his vision of what the program should be. In, in looking a little more into his vision, he, he, he basically pretty much said this year it wasn't going to be a winning season, kind of midway through, let everyone know that the team just wasn't at that level to compete and that it was going to be a a much more of a rebuild uh, than some fans initially thought, especially going from three wins the year before to to just the one this year. How do you see the program growing over the next couple of years? I I know it's kind of starting to just rub on the fans. You'll see the rent is pretty empty, a lot of pessimism around the program. How how do you think you could change that feeling, you know, despite having a team that, that might not be the most competitive right now? Well, the thing about Randy is he tells it like he sees it and you don't always agree with the way he sees it, but you never get the sense that he is, um, you know, lying. A lot of coaches, I think this season would have said would have been a little bit more positive just for the sake of keeping the fan base happy. I don't think that really interests him that much. He, he said there's going to be a five year process and, you know, we're two years in now and that's, you know, that's what he meant. Uh, I do think that we've, Probably, I would imagine, seen the worst of it. You know, next year, the all those guys on defense are going to be a year older. Should be a little bit less ugly than it was this year. But yeah, I don't. Again, I I, I kind of wish I could be a little more optimistic, but I don't think we're going to have sellout crowds and winning seasons next year. And you know, well, I, I won't project farther than next year. But I think um, what you got to look for is kind of slight improvement. Uh, maybe, you know, win a few more games than this year and have the roadmap kind of come into focus moving forward because even under the best of circumstances, it's still, you know, two or three years away from this being a competitive team. What can you tell the fans about uh, the recruiting class uh, coming in? I I know it's kind of uh, ranked on the lower end when you look at, you know, some of those recruiting sites. Uh, What do you know about about the recruiting class coming in? Well, so it's only half done, or less than half done even. They have uh, either seven or eight commits, and they're going to probably bring in another class of more than 20. So it's it's kind of early to say. Um, and it's also, it's hard to judge these guys. I mean, as we all know, um, the recruiting sites aren't perfect. The YouTube videos and huddle videos aren't perfect. Um, one thing that Randy obviously did well in his first time here in Connecticut was develop two or three star guys into guys who were really played more like three or four star guys. Um, and he got guys who came to college with 
very little pedigree and made them into NFL players, which is um, the, what you kind of have to do when you're at a place like this and not so fertile recruiting ground and now not even in a power conference anymore. So I do think that he deserves some benefit of the doubt there, even as the classes aren't wildly impressive. Um, you have to kind of trust a little bit, if only because there's no other option really, but trust that the guys he's bringing in, he sees something in them, and even if they're not ranked particularly highly, that they're um, that there's something there that they can work with, um, that they can kind of turn into a, a good player. Yeah. So uh, the athletic director, David Benedict, gave uh, Coach Edsel his uh, sign of approval this past week uh, after the Temple game. Do you think he, he's got basically as long of a leash as he needs here to try to get this thing turned around? Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, look, if, if they go 1-11 and again next year, then, you know, I, I think we're, this conversation is probably a little bit different. But I, I think he has been pretty transparent internally and externally all along. This is going to be a long process. You know, he could have done this differently. He could have immediately gone for a bunch of grad transfers um, or JUCO players or held on to some of maybe some of Diaco's guys, um, although he would probably argue that they weren't they weren't quite good enough to contribute in his view um but he he didn't he went for this full rebuild like to compare you know it's a philadelphia 76ers or a houston astros style tear it all down and build it all back up that was what he came in planning to do and that's what he's done and just as with philadelphia 76ers and houston astros um it's been ugly to start and um so i think that he probably will get to see things through, um, at least with this group of young players who's, who's here now, as long as it doesn't get worse from here, as long as it isn't quite as bad next year. You know, I think there probably have to be some signs of progress at this point, but I do think that he um, has been pretty consistent all along that it's going to be a long road, and so I don't think they would have um, hired him if they weren't willing to go along with um, his plan, which is to contend in, I don't know, 2021 or something like that. So outside of the team performance itself, pessimism for the fan base also goes around the conference they're in and in the American conference. Based on getting to see some of these teams up close, do you buy into the fact that the American is a power six conference and, and has those teams that can compete at a higher level? Well, the American is the sixth best conference. I don't think anybody would really argue that on either side. And so then it's just a question of whether you want to be generous and group them with the better conferences or not so generous and group them with the, the less good conferences. Um, I think if we're being honest again, I, I think there's a pretty big gap right now between the American and between um, the so-called power five. I, I don't think more than, um, you know, a handful of American teams would be competitive in the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten. Um, the top of the American, you know, obviously UCF could contend in a lot of these conferences, and there are other good teams. Memphis, Houston, Temple all had really good seasons. Um, others have in the past. So, you know, this is a it's a respectable conference. Um, it's probably not so far behind what the Big East was back when um, UConn was in it last decade. But I think it's probably a little bit of a stretch to say that it's um, on par with the, the power five apologies to Mike Oresco. Hopefully he's not listening to this. <laughs> Speaking of, of the American and 
just some of the travel that goes along with it. That seemed to be a, a problem for Coach Edsel this year. Not only the schedule, but playing these games at night. Could you talk a bit about that and, and why he was so opposed to those? Yeah, um, he, he views it, and I personally kind of agree with him, as kind of a, a, a piece of evidence in terms of the hypocrisy of the NCAA, where there's this uh, talking point that nobody really believes that it's these are student athletes and the education comes first. And I think, you know, he, his point is that if the student well-being really came first, a team wouldn't have to four or five times over the course of a year play at 7 p.m., finish a game at 10.30 p.m., get out of there at midnight, get back home at 4.30 in the morning, and then have Sunday kind of washed away, and who knows what kind of effect that has on their week. But we can all imagine um, the pain that that is, just that kind of itinerary for an athlete. It's certainly not what you want. And the reason that UConn kept winding up with those late slots late slots is because the way the TV contracts um, are structured. CBS Sportsnet gets basically last pick of the American games, and um, they consider their their 7 p.m. slot their least desirable slot because it's going up against all these other big games. They basically punt on it, more or less. And so they kept picking UConn because UConn was bad. So yes, if UConn had been a little bit better, they wouldn't have had to play at 7 p.m. all those times, but I mean, it's probably did suck for the for the kids and you know if you get home at 5 a.m and then you have sunday to kind of recover and you have who knows what team activities and then if you go to class on monday if you practice on monday I mean there are probably some lingering effects so randy's point was just that um no one team should have to play night games so often and um that the fact that they did have to play night games so often kind of showed that player well-being is not any sort of priority in college sports. Kind of a fun one to get you out on this American topic. Uh, as this was your first year on the beat, did you find a favorite American travel spot uh, that you had to go to this year? Hmm. You know, my favorite travel spot of the year was probably Boise, which was a really cool city. That's not an American uh, American Athletic Conference uh, travel spot, so I won't count that one. I liked, I liked Memphis. Memphis had kind of a cool character to it. Um, I'd never been there. I walked down Beale Street, which is obviously very historic. I went to the uh, Civil Rights Museum there, which is a uh, very cool, very cool um, museum. I'd recommend it for anybody in Memphis. So, yeah, I guess that's my pick. To be honest with you, the trip were to what I think most people would consider the, a lot of the less desirable destinations. Next year, we got Philly, New Orleans. Um, I'm blanking on, oh, they're playing UMass in Boston. But yeah, so uh, ask me that in a year and maybe I'll I'll have a more informed answer. But I did like Memphis. All right, yeah. It's good Good. good that Memphis beat Greenville, uh, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Greenville, Tulsa, Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just get you out of here on this one. If you had to, just knowing what you know, going into next year, does this team win more than one game? And can they beat an FBS opponent? Because that's something they haven't done in, in quite a few games. Yes, thankfully, you finally gave me a, a low bar to clear in, in terms of being a little optimistic. Yeah, I think that they'll be a little bit better next year. It's worth noting, and I've written this, the schedule is easier next year. Um, instead of Boise State and Syracuse, they're playing Indiana and Illinois. Not to say that they'll necessarily win those games, but they could at least be more competitive than Boise State and Syracuse was um, were. 
Um, so, yes, I do think that uh, they will win, let's say, three or four games next. I'll, I'll stick with three. Three games. I don't want to get out of control. Can't, can't get carried away. I'll say I'll a say, long way off. I reserve the right to change this a lot of times before um, August 29th or whatever it is. But uh, I'll say, yeah, they can win like three games. Maybe they can beat UMass. I know no one around here was happy to see them lose to UMass. So I, I, I think that things will be better next year, if only because they kind of have to be better next year. There's not much worse to get. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I think a lot of fans kept thinking every week, yet somehow (laughs) it still happened to get there. So hopefully we'll turn things around for next year. Alex, thanks so much for uh, joining us today and be sure to follow Alex throughout the year uh, over at The Current. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod. The host at Jared Kotler and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.